Welcome back to Beyond the Comet, a show where we talk about the future and its magic and its mystery. Uh, we'll be talking today about health, and appropriately enough, I'm feeling a little bit sick today. My name again is Ahmed, and I'm here with Cody. And Cody, hopefully you're feeling a little better than I am. Feel great. That's good. Doing great. Yeah. I haven't been sick in a little while, uh, and I definitely don't need technology right now to stay that way. Just, oh, you just uh, jinxed yourself, so we can go forward with that. Maybe. <laughs> I just stay away from people. Yeah. You know, Speaking of staying away from people, uh, it's a weird, but I can make this segue happen. Just like staying away from people, if there aren't people to do surgery in the future, how soon do you think robots will be able to jump in for doctors who can't get to rural areas or areas where they don't have as skilled doctors available? How are they going to, how soon do you see that happening? Uh, right now, actually. There's, um, it's been in hospitals, remote surgery as well as just surgery assistance from robotics. Uh, there's something called the Da Vinci robot. I think that's what it's called, but um, it assists in very difficult surgeries where it might be more of a procedure. So it allows for the robotic mechanism to do the surgery for you. As far as I know. So at this point, the robots are there to assist and, you know, in whatever capacity, they're not running the show. They're kind of helping to hold this, to keep this open or in general, just assist the doctor when they're running the show. Yeah, but you you have to figure that what is that assistance? Really, it's not as if it's all remote, but you also have the stability of it. I mean, the ability for the the arm to be able to be stabilized while it's doing the surgery will allow for very hard surgeries. Where I think um, you would need a top surgeon in order to take care of certain surgeries because they're just so difficult. With this kind of mechanism, it will allow for all surgeons to kind of have that specialized hand. Yeah, I see what you mean. Just kind of limit the thresholds. Like even when, as we were setting up the podcast, there's kind of thresholds for audio. So if it goes outside of a certain range, the software kind of kicks it out. So in surgery, if you're kind of going outside of a range with a cut or a suture, then it'll kind of autocorrect or keep you from getting to that point. Yeah, and, and what I think it actually allows for is because, you know, the staff is a very high commodity for these hospitals, so much so that I believe they have long-term contracts that they have to stay, or not non-competes actually can be part of a hospital's hiring procedure because they want to keep, they want to hold on to the talent that they have because, uh, you know, a certain hospital that has the best doctors gets known for that and, you know, gets more grants or more money gets thrown at them. They get better equipment. But with things like this now, you're saying that it kind of levels that playing field. So so more lower-end surgeons, if you want to call them that, are able to do the same procedures as those. So now you don't need to fly your patient out to the best surgeon because, one, either the best surgeon can do it remotely or a less trained surgeon or a less, I don't know what you call it, but... Um, Skilled, capable. Sorry, a less, yeah. yeah, less capable or less skilled surgeon can do the same procedure. Yeah, and I think it's interesting how as the simulations and as the quote-unquote practice surgeries get better and better and can make the training doctor try out more and more surgeries in this simulation, I think 
that's going to ensure better results overall. So even your quote unquote, less capable surgeons, they're going to get more practice. They're going to get more attempts to get it right. But And I do totally agree. And I think that that's also part of the influence of technology on these hospitals is the training capabilities that are brought into uh, the test process. But I do think that that there is inherent skill. Like I think that some surgeons or some doctors will be able to be just naturally better. But through a lot of these assistance with technology, it kind of levels that playing field. So now, which I think is a good thing because it really is about the patient and and if the patient can get the best health uh, or the best um, support to be able to make sense. Yeah. To be able to, to heal them. And if you are bound by the doctors and nurses that are in your hospital or in your district, because I mean, this could also come down to how much money you have. Right. You know, and, and where you're going to be sent. And I would like every hospital to have the same capabilities as the best hospitals. And I, I think that is, I don't know exactly how long in the future, but that is the future. Once this arrives, you know, this technology that can assist or take the lead at some point, it does level the playing field a lot. And I see it almost like both art and technique. And I think you're going to have people who know how to do the things, but they maybe can't flow with a certain surgery as it develops and if something goes wrong. And that's why you have certain experts in the field. And I think over time, people are going to realize that having some sort of AI or robot assistance is going to close that gap. Well, I just think that, um, I think that's where we are now. I, you know, I don't see this as a future trend. I, I see this as the current procedure of most hospitals are already implementing a lot of these assistance types of technology where it assists, but it doesn't take over. And I think that that's going to be the next step. Are we going to get to the point where there's just a booth on the corner, you go in the booth and it does surgery on you? Right. You know, at some point, eventually, but it's, it's interesting to think about how far off that is. And not just from a technical standpoint, but in terms of the public being okay with that. Yeah, and we just come back to the same problem. It's it's like now you're taking assistance and the assistance gets so good it becomes replacement. And then right. what does that do, you know? And and it's just, you know, nobody's safe. I I think just certain industries are going to take longer than others. Um but it I guess there is also as we said in most of these podcasts there's a public opinion problem mm-hmm. for, you know, things going fully robotic, but because I think people want to talk to the doctors and I, I don't know, you know, it, really it cuts just comes both down ways to- though. Because if you, if you have, this is a fully made up example, but if you have a robot hospital that only robots perform the surgery and over time you say, look, we've had half or a quarter of the bad results from surgery that a human hospital has, I think it's going to turn the tide. Eventually people are going to be like, yeah, it's nice to talk to my doctor, but I'd rather get a successful surgery. And I think that's the sort of thing that once you demonstrate results over a period of time, that's what's going to make people switch. It's just getting there is the tricky part. Yeah, no, I I agree. And I I do think that hospitals are probably going to be the first to have a lot of technology come their way. So for adaptation purposes, people will probably start to adapt to a lot of these things in their local hospitals. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of, because it just, it makes sense to have the most advanced technologies around 
trying to save people and trying to cure diseases and trying to, you know, save humanity. And also, I think just in that sense, there's a there's like almost an accepted uncomfortability with progression of these technologies because it where in I think other fields you can't just say, oh, well, it's saving lives, you know, and I think by saying, oh, but we're trying to save lives, it kind of gives it a light hearted like, hey, this this is OK that we are having robots take over jobs in hospital right. because it's saving more lives. So, you the know, at least the greater enough. good. Yeah. And, and the greater good is is there, you know, mm-hmm. it, to support that argument. Um, right. But jobs and are I, still going to be lost. you know. And, yeah. yeah. And and I, I think the the other big point of this and you kind of we're on the edge of this, but there's a plenty of money there in medicine and plenty of investment available to, if you can demonstrate results or even progress, I think there are going to be a lot of hospitals, a lot of individuals who would want to adopt this. And that's not the case for every other field. Yeah, I think the first thing that people are going to start to see, especially with where we're going with these large language systems, is just a lot of automated communication. I mean, even having a robot in every single room or every single part of the hospital that you can talk to and it will inform you about what what's wrong with you or you know you can ask it questions just kind of bedside manner will be probably the first thing to go to where then the robot will communicate to the nurses station everything that happened in that conversation and be able to file like your your concerns and then they'll just come by and check in with you that's interesting so you're seeing it almost like a it's a poor comparison, but something like a receptionist where they're taking in your information so that it frees up the human nurses to deal with higher level issues. So it's stuff like, you know, how much do you weigh? Are you feeling anything? Have you felt sick? Stuff like that is taken care of by the robot, freeing up other more skilled people to do that. Yeah, you'll just, you know, if you're, yeah, exactly. If you're in there and you have some sort of ailment that needs attention or anything that needs attention, you would communicate with the robot first. So it, it provides a barrier for the nurses so that they can get to those problems that, that the robot can't handle. Because, yeah. you know, if, I don't know when the last time you were in a hospital, but that's like 90% of the time, it's just people, you know, need something like they need water or need, you know, I, I mean, that's, or, or anything, or, or they're, they're, they need to be turned over or they need to right. be taken to the bathroom or they need to this or that. Or, and a lot yeah, it's of not these, complex things. It's it's attention. It's you know focusing on the specific need at that time, but it's not overly challenging things to do. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I think those will be handed over to. I mean, it could be a lot of them could be even handed over to to the robot itself. You know, I mean, to take it to take you to the bathroom, or depending on the capabilities of this robot. But even in the beginning, it, you know, without it being more mobile, you know, more humanoid. I think even just a rolling a little cylinder that's rolling around like an Alexa that you mm-hmm. talk to and can communicate with you like it's a human and you feel comfortable communicating. That's an interesting point. And I I think some of that pushback that you might get in other fields where it's like, I want to talk to a human, I don't want to talk to, you know, a tin can. I think you're gonna lose that because I know from my experience in, you know, with relatives in the hospital system, there's a ton of waiting. And just, you know, you ring a bell and you're waiting five, 10 minutes, even in good hospitals for a nurse or doctor to get to you. And without that, if you cut out that time, all of a sudden, that's a strong reason to have something like an Alexa or a Google Home thing where it can actually listen to you. Your interests are heard right away. That's a pretty big deal. Yeah. And I mean, we are so close to the technology that can have that fluid conversation. I mean, 
you know, right now with ChatGPT, it, it can have a fluid come, but it's even getting better. I mean, ChatGPT version four is mm-hmm. coming out at the end of the month or something. And then mm-hmm. they're already they're already suggesting that version five will come out in 2004 or into 2004, beginning of 2005. 2024, um, it, I hope. You're not traveling through sorry. time. 2024, yes. I, you know, I do that a lot, actually. I, I, I guess I travel through time. That's that's a bigger story yeah. than health, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll get there. We'll, we'll, yeah. The mini episodes. We'll we'll talk about time travel. That's good. Um, 2024 and 25, and these are going to be large leaps. I mean, uh, in the capabilities. I mean, already the GPT four is going to be what they call multimodal. Uh, mm-hmm. It's going to be a multimodal situation where it can understand videos, understand pictures. So like they show a lot of examples where you can give it a picture and ask it about the picture and it'll be able to tell you about the picture and mm-hmm. it'll tell you what's happening in the picture and kind of as if you were. So it's not just text. So they're already mm-hmm. going to that extreme, you know, to where it can create videos too and create pictures all inside one text box. So, so you're saying all just, those... All those protections that say identify the mailbox or find the, the taxi cab, those are over. What do you mean by protection? Like the uh, the captcha things where you try to log into a site and you have to prove you're human. Now the robots can do that too. No, you know the reason we do those, right? No, oh, go ahead. I, I oh, yeah. have an it's, idea, um, but go ahead. It's It's just basically data. We're giving data to Google or anybody that's creating image recognition software. And they use that data to train AI systems. Huh. So it's not really keeping it human only at all. It's just collecting more data. So they, they basically need, I don't even know. So they need key. So like basically you have data where you have an output and you need to check if they got the association right. So you'll mm-hmm. give them a picture. And so what we're doing is we're providing data where, where we're clicking the all the stop signs to, mm-hmm. to show where the stop signs are, it'll check it against that. So what it'll do is it, the robot system will go and it will find all the stop signs and call them stop signs. Mm-hmm. It'll say, these are stop signs. And then how huh. it'll check that data to see if it was right, it's reinforcement learning. So it's saying, okay, well, did I do this right? And if it did it right, if it looks at your stuff, what you clicked on and says, hey, yeah, I did it right, it will then reinforce those weights and by you know, the weights inside of the node to saying basically this is the correct way to do this so are you saying that all this time instead of proving that i was human i was training my replacements yep exactly wow. yeah, i, I know. genuinely did not know that that's yeah kind of scary i know there's really i mean there is some legitimacy to the the captcha things is they they provide it, it you know a human it would be very hard to train something to be able to do a lot of those tasks. So they do allow for a, you to be um, classified as a human rather than mm-hmm. a bot or something that's taking it. Because, it, you know, but the problem is, is they're circumvented anyways. I, I remember online, when you go online and you try to buy an item and there's a long line, it's very, very sought after whatever, you know, oh, shoe like tickets or graphics ticket cards, whatever. Yeah, anything that's yeah, really yeah. sought after. Mm-hmm. The problem is people will then create bots to keep refreshing the page and then the bot itself can like just go in and fill in all the information and keep hitting send. So it, it 
gives an advantage to these people that develop the bots to be able to, to buy these things. So right. what they did is they used CAPTCHA to try to weed out all those bots. But what ended up happening was the people that are using these bots and creating these bots, what they would do is they would just, all of it would be automated by the bot until it would get the CAPTCHA. Then it would send the CAPTCHA through to a some sort of farm in a different country, basically I a click farm. And then they would just do the CAPTCHA as fast as they could, send the data back. The robot would take back over and finish the process. So it would just circumvent the CAPTCHA with a little bit of human wow. uh, involvement. Right. All automated, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Very I, funny, but uh, yeah. Yeah, no, but I think I derailed you from your conversation about how all of these advance, advancements, which are you know significant and obviously going to change things if they can read from not just still images, but videos and going forward, who knows, audio and beyond, how that's what I going mean, to change the game in terms of health. The whole thing with this multimodal, and it's like one of the few things that as we travel on to um, AGI, artificial general intelligence, yeah. As, as is, we travel towards artificial general intelligence, is, which is just you know uh, something that is more perceived to be human-like, in artificial intelligence so mm. it, it it'll be it'll be able to do many things and you could probably ask it to do multiple tasks like it's not like if you look at chat gpt right now and you you use it it's, it's able to respond to questions but it's not it's not able to get inside your calendar and then like do all your count cal- it's not like it's a real person who could just go on your computer and do all sorts of things it's not a personal it's very, Exactly. And I think that that's what AGI is. It's going to be more like a personal assistant. Mm-hmm. And this multimodal development, I don't really have, but the multimodal development that, they, that is coming through the pipeline in GPT-4 will be a big step towards that. Because now it'll be able to process a lot of different types of data types. And Microsoft's the one that's really pushing for a lot of this stuff because they want to implement this AGI or the, these chat GPTs that into everything into the next windows windows 12 yeah Um, this that specific topic i'm really happy you brought up agi and kind of broke it down to me in terms of like a personal assistant is especially with healthcare that's a huge huge game-changing thing because yeah so much of health outcomes are related to people just knowing what they should be asking what the questions they should be asking and the questions they shouldn't be asking some you know stuff that's not important and stuff that is important figuring out whether this doctor has the right idea or this doctor doesn't have a clue. It's really, it's a ton of information in an emotional time for people, a stressful time. And if you had this kind of objective bot or artificial intelligence, you can talk to and say like, Hey, is this doctor have the right idea about the surgery or should I look for a second opinion or what are the other outcomes I could look for? That's a huge change from what we have today. On both sides. As mm-hmm. well as on the, you know, for the doctor, because they're going to get a bunch of different second opinions that they can use to try to better understand or make a choice to proceed in whatever, you know, might help you. Um, I mean, honestly, maybe it's not even both sides. Maybe all of a sudden it's not doctor versus me. It's like, hey, let's all get in this room and figure out what the best thing is. The percentages are saying the surgery makes sense, but some, some people are saying this is an option. And all of a sudden you have everyone in the room who's interested and has something to gain or lose in the situation is there talking and figuring out together. Yeah. No, and I think it'll just allow for 
people to get a lot more information in the beginning and feel a lot more comfortable going forward before they even start talking to the doctor. And it'll also allow for medical health to take place earlier because if, if this is on your computer, you mm-hmm. know, and it can just do a scan of you. I mean, I can't remember the last time I went to the doctor, to be honest. I just got insurance again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, it's been a while since I've gotten a checkup. And I think there's mm-hmm. a, probably a lot of people out there. But if I could just have my computer check me up right now or, you know, read my yeah. heart rate just by looking at me, or I could talk to it and tell it what I'm feeling, at a, you know, and a doctor never needs to be involved until a red flag, the, yeah. the automated service as you know see something wrong and then it can inform the doctor that's best suited to help you and it's also resource allocation because you're on the one end you're going maybe less than you should not getting your annual checkups and stuff like that but then there's other people who may be filling up waiting rooms with concerns legitimate concerns but they're going too much objectively and so by being able to get information at home that says like look you don't need to worry about this it's it's minor it'll go away in a few days that's freeing up the resources to be allocated to exactly who needs it. So yeah, it's uh, having that information early, as they always say, prevention is uh, better than even the cure. That's going to help people a lot. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. And I think this is why people will accept this kind of advancement early on, because I just, there's so many benefits in the medical field, you know, and it really just, it helps us all. I mean, yes, there's the fear of in which is the fear in every single industry is the reduction of jobs in that industry and being taken over by you know artificial procedures but man i mean if if you can go get diagnosed mm-hmm. at any time of your life i mean already we're seeing a lot of this with the wearable devices you know that can monitor your heart rate constantly and and if anything goes wrong i mean i know that my mom utilizes this kind of technology and it, mm-hmm. it makes our whole family feel better because we know that if anything goes wrong, her doctor's looking at it, you know, real time. Mm-hmm. So we can just, you know, they can see spikes and it can notify them. Yeah. Um, and just and like it, the Apple watch will alert if there's a heart rate spike or. Yeah. I don't forget the specific term, but the rhythm of the heart isn't correct. Then it can flag and alert people. I think it's arrhythmia, right? Yeah. Heart arrhythmia. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's just the beginning. And, you know, I think that's kind of, so we've, we've already kind of seen a lot of technology in the medical space. I mean, we've seen a lot of technology everywhere, but that's helping people out right now. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I can only see it getting a lot better. I don't think people will mind robots in their rooms at hospitals or even in their house. I mean, if we get robots in their house and that, that robot can do a physical on you and you know, keep, make sure that you're continually healthy, that's great. Mm-hmm. Honestly, the more we talk about this, the more I feel healthcare is like the way that robots and technology are going to get into people's homes and into their lives. Because if you're looking at the alternative as, look, I don't have healthcare now, and then I get to choose a robot to come in, a robot is better than zero because a lot of people aren't even accessing healthcare. If you made it easier for more people to get it, I think just an easy decision for them why would i not try this robot you're only getting information at first and then that information is going to allow you to have better health outcomes yeah and you know the other side is clinics you know which are the lowest end place you can go to which you get seen but a lot of people think that it wouldn't be the best quality health care that you can get is to go to Mm -hmm. a clinic but 
if it's run by robots, that completely changes that perception. And now it's just, you can off-put this. I mean, this is terrible, but you can off-put the salaries that you are paying all the people at the clinic and just make it fully a robot clinic. And I think we're going to see a lot of that, you know, go to the robot clinic. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see with the rollout. And I think that's, I'm always interested in how different technology rolls out. Does it target the high-end? It's weird to say customer when it comes to healthcare, but the high-end customer who wants, you know, the super elaborate robot that can do a specific surgery or on the low end where it's like, look, we don't, there's no doctor who wants to work in this neighborhood. So send the robot there. And I'm curious, which I think it'll happen at the same time, but I'm curious what will be a bigger force for change. I think the biggest cost in any business is its employees. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the workers are the biggest cost. So, you know, by completely gutting the workforce, terrible, terrible, I know, but you are saving so much money that I think it allows you to work in lower income areas. You know, I, so that's why I think that that might be a good advantage because, you know, it's still, you're still making a lot of money and, and you're still able to pay for these robotic creatures, <laughs> whatever mm -hmm. they may be. So I don't know. I, I see what you're saying, but I, I think that the people that have the best healthcare plans will probably actually have, still have the best doctors because that's, that is kind of why, at least in the United States, is why people want the best healthcare plan is to have those doctors to have, you know, inside your network. This maybe is a really bleak way to look at it. But as you were talking, I was jotting down that I can totally see the robot AI medicine getting replacing these clinics or putting pressure on these uh, clinics in low income neighborhoods and basically health systems and hospitals getting data about what works. And then eventually, once they do all the testing, once all the you know, negative outcomes are reduced, then that gets adopted into higher income neighborhoods and higher income hospitals. Interesting that you say that, because I actually think that there's not going to be as much trial and error due to AI resources, especially, I mean, this brings us straight into protein folding, mm -hmm. which for those that don't know, protein folding is the ability to understand the three-dimensional structures of these proteins. And, and they say that the three-dimensional structure is really what makes a protein do what it does. And, and your body is, proteins do all sorts of things inside of your body. And, you know, really a lot of drugs uh, that are created attached to these proteins, that a lot of things can be treated by understanding the, not only um, the way that the functional proteins are working inside of your body and how those are structured, but also if they are, there are errors inside of the protein. Mm -hmm. A lot of these things can be detected through AI because they if they can understand the 3D uh, structure. They can, you know, they can basically look through billions of different structures and kind of figure out well, what do these do? Uh, what are the properties? You know, where are the binding sites on this protein for the drugs that we are creating? So I think that the capability for us to make very targeted med medicine is going to increase alongside all of this advancement. Am I reading so, this correctly in that it's something like it's a puzzle or code that we have to break and it's technically possible for humans to do it, but it's just 
not feasible to do it on the oh. scale that we need to? Exactly. They used to do it. A lot of things they used to do, you know, in the laboratories, but now it's, they've mapped in the beginning, they've mapped a ton of whatever, you know, protein folds that we know. And this has been going on. I remember <laughs> back in the day, uh, they, there was this thing called, it was on the PS4 or no, sorry, the PS3. Mm-hmm. There was a, a program on the PS3 and it, it would ask you, it'd be like, will you give this folding program, this protein folding program, your compute power when you're not using it, you know? And so you'd leave your, you'd leave your PlayStation 3 on and it was a network of PS3s, like a cluster of PS3s. So, so your compute power would be given out to, to the, the process of folding these proteins. Wow. The best way so I can explain it. Yeah, but like I mean- Early crowdsourcing. Yeah, it's it's basically or early supercomputer. Like if mm-hmm. they basically needed a supercomputer to be able to process all these folds, and that's how they used to do it. But even you know now with with the supercomputers that are available currently, as well as the AI technology to be able to recognize and sort through the data, with most of these AI technologies or transistor-based technologies, it is being able to predict what comes next. Or so if you have alike properties and what they do and like what are other possibilities from mm-hmm. these properties because you see trends like they're really good at understanding trends that i don't think humans would be in all the data so they can look at all the data that we have and produce trends and kind of understand what plausible folds would be and what they right. would plausibly do so um, something like i can compare a to b but this AI can compare A to B to every letter in this dictionary and every other language all at the same time. Yeah, and the likelihood that in this situation that C would come next. Right, right. And then, you know, at a high percentage, they can make a guess. And it is a guess. I mean, that's it's guessing. It's saying, okay, well, but at like a 70 or 80% guess, you know, they're they're Mm -hmm. pretty sure that Mm -hmm. this is what's going to happen due to all of the data that's available. Which is amazing, you know, and, and it, it's yeah. really, I don't know. I'm excited, man. I'm, I'm really No, excited. I'm very excited. And it's, it's interesting you called it the guess because realistically, no matter how much we know, no matter how we view medical science today and how advanced we view it, it still gets to be a guess at a certain point. You know, you hear doctors say like so-and-so has three years to live, five years to live. It's, it's a guess based on their knowledge, based on their individual experience in other cases, what they've read about. And any human is limited in their ability to view cases, to interact with people. But if you're having an AI run this, it's all of a sudden, like you said, maybe it's 70% better, 20% better, 30% better, whatever it is. It's a more accurate guess in an area where guesses matter a lot. And also, I, th- I think that it's able to guess based off of way more data than mm-hmm. any singular human being. I, you know, I, I heard somebody say like, how smart would you be if you could, if you knew 10% of Wikipedia? Right, right. Like you, if you knew it like down pack, like every word, like you had it memorized every word of the, uh, those 10% of the articles, you'd mm-hmm. be pretty damn smart. You could, you know, you could talk fairly intelligently. It knows 100% of Wikipedia and more. Right. And so, yeah. um, especially with general AI, like as, as it's able to bleed over to, multiple parts of life and all data it just it becomes easy to understand that this is the route that we're going to take and this is the route that's going to solve a lot of problems 
and we're just going to have to take the issues that come along with it. So speaking of issues that come along with it, are there any, because I have a few, but are there any fears specific to the future and health that you have? Future and health. Yeah, I, I suppose that any of these processes for good can be used for evil. Mm -hmm. So designer diseases would be, you know, if we're making designer drugs and they're making designer diseases, it's that could be problematic. You went full Bond villain with me. You're thinking oh, that people well, are going to take it and use it to weaponize. I mean, uh, is that what just happened with COVID? I, it, some yeah, would I, say it did. A lot of people think that it was a villain. <laughs> yeah, I guess for me more so, it's just the lack of, I think the fact that there is so much information about each person and way more detail about it. And if AI can kind of develop these models of you have these protein folds, you have these type of cells and these interactions, this is most likely your health outcome. I worry more so that employers or other other people who could use that information to say, oh, your life expectancy is shorter, so I won't do this for you, or it's longer, so you get these. And I'm not saying it's a guaranteed thing, but most likely you will live longer. So I, as the employer, will be more likely to hire you than someone who, on data, is going to live for a shorter lifetime. You know, you, you bring up a, and I know you're talking about insurance, because they're going to be the ones that are going to be the most interested. I mean, they already, if you, which is so scummy. If you, uh, I remember when I was in college, they used to have a thing where you would sign up your email or whatever, and you could get free cigarettes. <laughs> That's very um, healthy. And you grew up yeah, in the forties yeah, yeah. or something? No, no, no. It's uh, <laughs> well, emails. Um, but they would track your data because if you did that, they would do it for kids, and then they could charge you later in life. They could charge you higher premiums because they have the data that says you you were a smoker at one point. Wow, that is pretty scummy. I yeah, not, pretty scummy. I, I'm surprised I hadn't heard about that specific thing, but yeah, that's pretty bad. But go ahead. Yeah, um, I don't know if they were able to actually capitalize on that because it's hard to say. You know, if if you smoke once in your life, like what is how bad is that for your uh, life expectancy? Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, it's just the mindset, right? And so it's the same thing, right? They're gonna they're gonna be really interested because I mean, if let's say at one point through this pursuit for better health and technology, we are able to pinpoint your, your moment of death, natural death. Mm -hmm. You know, like you're able to see how long your liver is going to last or how long. I mean, it's hard to say because all these technologies will be improving that. I don't know. And yeah. And it's kind of an extension. Maybe my worry is misplaced because it's already happening. Because in a sense, insurance companies are already looking and saying like, well, this surgery is going to cost this person X amount, or it's going to cost us this amount. Uh, there's only a small percentage chance that it succeeds. So we're going to say, no, we're not going to cover that. You know, they're already making those big ethical decisions that are not popular and not always in the interest of the individual patient. But I think over time, once you have more information and it's more clear, once AI can develop better models to say, yeah, it's a 98% chance this patient with this disease is going to cost you a billion dollars, or not a billion, but multiple millions of dollars throughout the course of their life, versus this other patient is going to cost you half. Then it raises some big questions about who we want in control of this data, who we want making the decisions with that information. 
Yeah, you're right. And I mean, it, it's very easy, it would be very easy to predict which patients would cost you more. And, and, and maybe there are going to be, you know, higher premiums for people that are being rooted out with AI systems, you know, and, and their information because you can use it. That's a very, I didn't even think about that. That is a very easy way to, because there's so much data already that, you know, if they can get hold of your medical records or everyone's medical records, which I don't know if they will be able to, but at least they can, they can look at your claims. Yeah, I mean, I don't it's know, not just uh, your claims. It's like, oh, Cody bought some allergy medicine and people who buy allergy medicine are 50% more likely to get this disease, you know? And I, I mean, that's a basic comparison, but they can look at your grocery shopping. They can look at, you know, how fast you drive your car. Everything is data. Data is everywhere. And if you run enough analyses, if you compare it to enough data, compare it to enough other people over time, you're going to get a really good idea of this person is likely to survive this long. And you said natural causes, but you can extend that to unnatural causes too. That's very true. Yeah. I mean, there is going to be on the other side as, you know, procedures become better and medication becomes better, people will start to live longer. So I would hope, I'd hope that they would drive their, that would drive insurance's price down just because at least on a healthcare side of things, health insurance, but I don't know, you're right. Maybe they'll find more things. Maybe they'll be able to really narrow down what kind of classification of patient you are and then charge you appropriately. And maybe this could be a future most boring episode ever, but if we ever do talk about insurance, do we really need it? Because if you can predict with a lot more accuracy, insurance is really there to cover us if we guess wrong. But if we're guessing right more often, do we really need it? Oh my gosh, dude. I would do that episode in a second. I am <laughs> so against insurance. I think it is the dumbest thing that we ever created. It is, it's a scam in my book on its own. I, um, I think we just wrote our next episode. Yeah. Woo, because it's, you know, it just, I'll just give a little bit of a taste. We won't do the whole thing. But the reason mm-hmm. I, I dislike it is because it doesn't allow for a free market to mm-hmm. exist and there's no supply and demand there's nothing driving costs down it's like a umbrella that's that's safe havening these insurance companies because and the procedures that that they're covering so the procedures keep going up because there's the insurance company to mm-hmm. support it and it's just the whole thing is really frustrating that we live we have we live in a world of insurance i mean insurance in itself like if someone came up to you and said hey you know for anything like I'll, I'll pay you back if this happens but if it doesn't happen you're paying me consistently that mm-hmm. that kind of system seems scummy in in the beginning anyways mm-hmm. yeah i could see that it's a we will talk about this later but uh the one point that i always come to is asynchronous information which basically means that one side has a lot more information than the other and when there are situations with that the side with the information can just call the shots in the insurance company in this case very few people really know how insurance works and how they come up with the rates, how they change the policies and all that. And the people who don't know are just forced to pay the amounts and maybe complain about it, maybe look for another alternative, but they don't really have a ton of options. So we'll save that. Save that for next time. Yeah, yeah. Insurance will be a, a good one, I think. They need, they need to be knocked around a little bit in this future <laughs> that we're hopefully crafting. Uh, so we just, we just lost our it. State Farm insurance endorsement yeah so way to go went went 
Yeah, it's uh, but I, you know what? I I am I'm excited for most things in the medical field. I'm I'm really excited for most procedures to be more accessible. This this idea of a booth that you can go to. I mean, it, it that's kind of I don't want to bring this up, but the Theranos plan. Oh and right. If if those that aren't familiar with Theranos, it was I wouldn't call it a scam, but I think it it ended up being that. But it was uh, what was her name? Elizabeth. Remember her name? I know. Yeah, Elizabeth time. something. She created or promised for this machine that could diagnose many different. I don't know if it was diseases, but but things from just one drop of blood. So basically, you would be able to give the machine. It was like this box, and you'd be able to give it just a little bit of blood, and it could do all of these analyses on it and tell you all sorts of things. Where the procedure now is, you you take that tube of blood, you know, and they send it off to the laboratory. And the reason why they take so much blood is because each part of that tube is going to a different test. So they right. need a little bit of blood to do. And this was like, you need so much less blood and it can do all these tests. And the problem was, what is each test kind of, there were, there were too many tests and not enough blood to make this kind of thing work. But it really, lay, the reason why I think people put so much money into it and it got so far before it all fell apart and she got arrested was because you know, people really want this one stop does everything machine, you know, no, and, and, and I think yeah, it makes total sense, too. And her name is Elizabeth Holmes, but Holmes, yeah, it t- makes total sense. That's why I think everyone wanted it, because it's just more efficient. It gives you more information. It's something people wanted to believe in. And that's just like any good scam. People want to believe in something. And then the truth is somewhere further away. But the concept, I think, is Possible. I think it's you know, we're headed towards that direction, and you know your patented booths where people walk into and just take a drop of blood or give whatever other reading they need to, and get a ton of information all at once. I think that's that's the future where I hope we're headed to. Yeah, me too. I think it's going to be a good one. I think we're going to have a lot to hope for, and hopefully we can get to two hundred years of life before yeah. I get to a hundred. Well, I already read <laughs> that even without talking about all the advancements that we're anticipated to see, there's a fair amount of, I don't know if it's agreement, but a discussion that the first 200 year old person may be on the planet already. Yeah. Well, that'll be, we should do that as well. That'll be another episode, but for this, we should probably end this one. This was a good one. And uh, we hope to have you back next week. Who knows? Maybe it's about insurance. Maybe it's about some other pressing topic regarding the future. But no matter what, we'll be back on Beyond the Comet. Thanks, and see you then.